Hey, this is Jordan Sutton, pastor at Clearpath Church. Thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. We appreciate you listening. A little about our community. We love to come together. We love to come to the Lord's table together. Uh, we're a community trying to be led by the Spirit, just walking through Scripture together, walking through life together. If this message is an encouragement to you, bring some hope to your life at the end of the sermon. There'll be a little bit of information about how you can get in touch with us. Stay tuned, and thanks for joining. I want to read a passage and invite us into a moment of reflection. Um, the Lenten season is about reflecting upon the work of Christ in our lives and in the earth. I'll read to you from 2 Corinthians 5. It says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. We have a house eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. I was sitting, uh, got to go camping with Grace and some of the girls in her grade and the dads in her grade. And um, we went to this home kind of on some acreage out in Tyler, and it had some hills, which is quite unusual in Texas. And... Uh, at the end of the day, um, some of the people leaving last night and some of the people stayed and Grace was playing with a few of her friends and so I had this quiet moment where I sat on the porch and I was, I actually had this moment where I read Revelation 21 and 22, just the end of, end of the Bible to just reflecting and I was looking at this, um, I was looking out at the sun setting and I could hear like some cows mooing and I could hear like insects and like all the closing sounds of the day, nature. It was just beautiful. I was just sitting there and I was just like felt the nearness of the love of the goodness of God. And it was beautiful. And I know that God was just reminding me of who he was, who he is. And then I thought to myself, but this is not going to last. And it is a beautiful representation then, but it's not eternal. And I began imagining like what's 2 Corinthians 5, that eternal swallowing up that which is mortal. I began imagining almost like if it was a blanket of light, just began imagining the glory of God swallowing up everything I saw and swallowing up my life. And 
I think that when we sing a song like He's Always Good, there are all these things in our lives that testify to the goodness of God, but they don't always do so perfectly. In fact, sometimes they do so very imperfectly. Um, And so we're left with these imperfect, broken pictures and testimonies of people in our lives and the world around us pointing us towards God, but it's sometimes making us see ourselves in our own brokenness. And and I, I think that what What the demonic, like, I feel like is always trying to do, what the enemy is always trying to do is to point us away from the goodness of God. Because there's always a testimony in front of us of his goodness. And yet there's always a testimony of, of the brokenness and the temporalness of this. And so it's, it's really easy in the in the journey of life to stop believing that he's good because sometimes that other testimony speaks louder. And so I just want you to imagine for a moment with me what I imagined. That this eternal God whose presence covers the earth as the waters of sea, there's going to come a day everything will be swallowed up by that glory. And I just want you to close your eyes and just imagine your life, this world, however you want to picture it. I just want you to imagine the presence and the glory of God washing over everything you think is good, everything you think is bad, and the perfect coming. Like a blanket of light swallowing us up, as Paul said. thank you for this time. I pray that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would come in this place. We may know you, God. That the eyes of our understanding will be enlightened. That we may know the hope, our calling, the riches of, his, of the glorious inheritance you have for your saints. God, and that we would experience the exceeding greatness of your power towards us who believe according to the work of Christ 
was raised from the dead and seated in heavenly places, far above all principalities and power, might and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the age to come. He has put all things under his feet. And he is the head of this body. is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. God, I pray that all those things would be true this morning, God. Let us hear and see and know what it is you're calling us to. We thank you, God, for your patience in working with us. You're so patient and your presence, God. We just invite you, Lord, to come and have your way in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Let's give Jason a hand. Man, it's so good. So excited to have John and Suzanne with us this morning. We used to have them more often, but they they decided to, you know, leave the promised land within the promised land and go south to Austin. And uh, John and Suzanne have been walking with us for, I think, a decade. And and I've gotten to, John, I've gotten many, many hours of sitting over lunch. And and I think that uh, I'm just so grateful. Zane and I talked about that. We had our elder board call this, you know, this couple weeks ago. And and John is one of the people that serves with us on that and as just counsel. And one of the things I, I was, Zane and I were talking about afterwards is how grateful we are of the character, integrity, and the anointing that you walk in and grateful to have us in, to have you in our lives. And so it was just, we were both just chatting about it afterwards. And um, you always give a good word and you demonstrate his goodness well. And we're grateful for you. So. We love you, man. Come share. But no pressure, huh? You always give a good message. Well, <clears throat> most of the time. Okay. That's more, more realistic. That's more realistic. Yeah. Well, it is always a joy for Suzanne and I to join you. As I look around the room, there are many, many familiar faces, and there's some new faces, and I'm so grateful that uh, there are new faces and that, uh, that you're enjoying the life of the Lord at Clearpath Church. So, uh, yeah, we've, uh, I was just thinking about that this week. We've, we have known each other over 10 years, maybe 11 now, I think, is when we met. Um, and it's been rich both ways. It's been mutual. Uh, Jordan was very honoring of us in his introduction, but uh, I could say the same thing back about Jordan and Andrea. Uh, you guys have enriched our lives, and this whole fellowship has. And the uh, the opportunities we've had to be with you in, in, on a number of occasions have been uh, so beneficial for us. Um, hmm. You know, there's there's something to avoid when we read. A familiar Bible passage. There's a saying that says. 
familiarity breeds contempt. And what that means is, is that the more familiar we get with something or someone, the more we see maybe their flaws, some inadequacies, and so forth. And it tends to birth in us kind of a diminished view of that thing or that person. Now, we don't get that from Scripture, but there is a familiarity that is a danger for us. And that is, is that we come to a passage that maybe we've read, maybe we've studied, maybe we've even meditated on a lot of different times. And what it breeds, I think, in my terminology is an unsanctified knowledge. An unsanctified knowledge, which means I come to this passage and I go, oh, I know this. And we do not allow our minds and our hearts to be touched by the freshness that God wants to bring us in that passage, in that narrative. And the danger is today, this morning, is because I'm going to speak to you out of the raising of Lazarus in John 11. And many of you have probably, you know that story. You've read that story. You've gotten a lot out of that story. But my prayer this week in preparing for this morning, <clears throat> is that you and I would be so open to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives that we will be impacted and changed by it. In fact, I believe as I was in prayer this week that the Lord promised He would do that. That He is going to, to present to every single one of you some aspect of Jesus that's going to change your life. Now, it may be one of the three things I focus on out of this passage, or it may be something else. I don't care whether the Spirit uses John Wallace or he just does it on his own. But I believe he's going to do that. And I've been praying that he would do that. So, I've entitled this message, The Raising of Lazarus, The Raising of Jesus. The raising of Lazarus and the raising of Jesus. Not only because when Jesus raised Lazarus of the dead, he was foreshadowing his own resurrection just a few days later. But also that today the raising of Jesus would mean an elevation of the appreciation of Jesus in your mind and heart. The rising of <clears throat> an understanding of him and an intensifying of your passion and your awe, and your worship of the Son of God. So, with that in mind, I want to pray. Lord, I'm going to take hold of what I believe you gave me, the promise you gave me early this week, that you're going to present yourself to every single person here in such a way that it's going to change their life. Lord, I just want to make that declaration in the Spirit right now. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, we just choose right now to push away all of the things that we think we know about this passage and come to it fresh today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Okay, I'm going to read the entire passage, 46 verses. All right, and then we'll go back and look at it. Now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. 
So the sister sent word to him saying, Lord, behold, him who, uh, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not in, in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Then he said, uh, when he, this he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. <laughs> and I am glad for your sake that I was not there. So that you may believe, but let us go to him. Therefore, Thomas, who's called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, Let's also go so that we may die with him. <laughs> so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. In the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. And when she said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, The teacher is here and calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came to where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, and see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? 
Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there'll be a stench, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary saw what he had done, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. I want us to think of this story like a play with three acts. Act 1, Act 2, and Act 3. And the different acts are based upon location. The first part of this story actually takes place in, a call, in, in, a, in an area called Anin, uh, Anon and Salim. And where that was, was that we find out from the end of chapter 10, Jesus had gotten into a big controversy with the Jewish leaders. They had actually picked up stones to stone him. And uh, he converses with them a little bit more. And he uh, says something to offend them again about his deity. And it said they tried to grab him. And then and the apostle John in, in this gospel it gives that little phrase that's so intriguing. It said they tried to grab him and he eluded them. <laughs> what did he do? Did he walk through them? What did he do? Did he jump away? I don't know. He eluded them. But then it said that he went to where John the Baptist had been baptizing over on the Jordan River. Now, Anon and Salim are halfway between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea on the Jordan River. And it's a two-day journey from there to Bethany in Jerusalem. All right, so Jesus is two days away. All right, so this is where the first scene is. The second scene is on the edge of Bethany before he goes into the village where he has the conversations with Martha and Mary. And then the third scene, the location is at the tomb. All right, in each of these acts, I want to present to you something that Jesus is. Not only that he was at the time, but something that he is today that possibly you can take hold of. All right? Act 1. <clears throat> it says, it shows us, first of all, Jesus' relationship with this family. He said, uh, there was a man who was sick. And he said, uh, the sister was Mary. And uh, the other sister was Martha. And then John tells us, he says, this is the Mary that anointed Jesus with, uh, with her hair, with the oil and with her hair, which actually happens in chapter 12. All right, but apparently in chapter 12, Jesus, when all of this happened, he said, don't bother her because her story is going to go out all over the world. What she just did is going to be a testimony all over the world. 
John is writing this at the end of the first century. Matthew, Mark, and Luke have already been written and are among the churches. But John is writing now, and he's saying, this is the Mary that you already know about. Because her reputation's gone out into the churches. All right, so Jesus was related <coughs> closely with this family. They sent message to him. They didn't say, our brother Lazarus is sick. What did they say to Jesus? The one that you love is sick. The one that you love is sick. Now, maybe they sent that message because they felt like it would motivate Jesus quicker and better. I don't know. But to me, it's important. Jesus is going to begin to relate to this family out of love. Jesus heard this, and he said, the sickness isn't in the death, but it's for the glory of God. Why did Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead? First and foremost, the first reason is for the glory of God. It's for the glory of God. But John, the apostle writing this, comes back in verse 5, and he said, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard he was sick, he stayed two days longer. He loved them, and he stayed. He stayed because he loved them. Then he interacts with the disciples. He said, after the two days, he said, let us go to Judea again. Now, we're going to find out, we, as we read it, when he finally gets to Bethany, that Lazarus has been dead four days. Remember, I told you where Jesus was was two days away. All right? So, the messenger, or uh, it's actually one day away. So, the messenger left Bethany, took him a day to get to Jesus. There's two more days there that he waits, and there's one day getting back. So, pretty much after, right after the messenger left, Lazarus died. And Jesus knows this. He said, oh, he's falling asleep. He's just falling asleep. Why did he say he's falling asleep? Because all through the New Testament, everyone who is going to be raised on the last day will come awake again. It's just a sleep. Okay, my only brother died a year, a year, about a year and a half ago. When I preached at his memorial service. I preached from this passage. He is only asleep. He will rise again. Disciples as usual don't get it. So often the disciples in response to what Jesus said. Think in the natural when he's speaking in the spiritual. And we do too. So often the Lord speaks to us and we go, well, I don't know what you're talking about. When, uh, when we moved down to central Texas, uh, as I was driving uh, our garage stuff down there in a U-Haul truck, as, we were getting, as I was getting down there, I said, Lord, what's ministry going to look like down here? And the Lord said to me very clearly, he said, it's going to be the same but different. 
And I said, thank you for the clarity. <laughs> I don't understand. <clears throat> but Jesus condescends to the, to the disciples and tells them plainly, look, he's dead. He's dead, you guys. Come on. And he said, let's go to Judea. Now, I just told you in chapter 10, the Jews picked up stones and wanted to stone. They wanted to seize him. And the disciples knew that. And he said, excuse me, that's at the danger zone. That's the danger zone. But Jesus says kind of a cryptic thing here. And he says, look, aren't there 12 hours in the day? Back in those days before, you know, cell phones with times on them and clocks and so forth. The day was measured in 12 hours. The day was 12 hours. The night was 12 hours. You worked as long as there was daylight. When it was sundown, you quit working. All right? And so he's referring to that. Aren't there 12 hours in the day? If they walk in the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light. But if anybody walks in the night, he stumbles because the light's not in him. Now, why did he say that as related to going back to Judea? Because what he's saying is, look, as long as I am not crucified, as long as my ministry is not over, it's daytime. And I've got to work during the day. Wherever God sends me, whatever he wants me to do, I have got to work as long. And he says, night's coming. Night's coming when I won't be here to work anymore. But as long as it's daytime, I've got to go do what God wants me to do. Then he tells them that he, that he did, that he is dead. And he said, I am glad for your sake I was not there. I'm glad for your sake, disciples. I'm glad for your sake that I was not there so that you may believe. Second reason that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, not only was to glorify God, it was to increase the faith of his disciples. So Tom, Thomas, again, poor Thomas, he gets such a bad rap in the, in the scriptures. Okay, let's go, because we're probably all going to die. <laughs> but the point I want to make in act, act 1 is they're here. Is that Jesus, because he loved them, stayed. You ever think Jesus is just staying when you want him to do something? You send a message. Hey, Jesus, I really need you. And he stays. Have you ever thought that he stays because he loves you? I'll come back to that in a minute. Act 2. Jesus comes to Bethany. He gets there. John lets us know that, the, that Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. Martha gets word that Jesus is around. Now, Martha is <clears throat> probably the eldest of the siblings. Over in Luke, you know, there's the story about Martha's real busy trying to fix dinner for everybody and Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet, and Martha gets bent out of shape. What, that whole story says that Jesus came to Martha's house. 
very unusual statement in the first century, first century Judaism. Martha is the eldest of the siblings. And so she hears, and, and you know, Martha is into activity. She ain't going to just sit around. Right? She hears that Jesus is on his way into town, and she runs out to him. Probably doesn't tell Mary. Mary might not have even known that she left the house. She goes out there. And now, and now what we see in the interaction with both Mary and Martha is we see where their faith is and where their faith needs to go. All right. Martha said, if you'd have been here, look, I know you heal. If you'd have been here. Now, she may have kind of said that, kind of trying to, you know, be upset about it. Or she just been, could have just been crying out in, 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 in her grief. If you'd have just been here, you could have healed her. And then she says kind of a, an unusual statement. She says, even now, even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give to you. Now, it's a little confusing because you wonder, since she said that, she said, even now, whatever you ask God, he's going to do, that maybe she believed that Jesus could raise, raise him from the dead. Now, she's probably heard the story about the raising of Jairus' daughter. She probably maybe even heard the story about him raising the son of the widow of Nain. He's already got two resurrections under his belt, so to speak. Now, she could have done that. But on the other hand, in her conversation later, we find out that she really didn't have that faith. So, that's just one of those verses in the Bible that goes, I don't know. I don't know what it means. I've been, I've been looking at it for 54 years. At any rate, it, it does tell us that she had a level of faith. She had a level of faith. And, uh, and Jesus said, your brother's going to rise again. Well, the Jewish people at that time did believe in a resurrection of the dead at the end of the age. But they had never seen, until Jesus came on the scene, but they'd never seen with their eyes a, a resurrection from the dead since the days of Elijah and Elisha. And so it wasn't even in their purview. It wasn't even in their, the category of possibility. That the dead could be raised right then and there. So she immediately goes down to what she knows. And Jesus brings her back to the present. I know he's going to rise at the end. Her eyes are on the future. And Jesus brings her back by just saying, hey, look, I am the resurrection and the life. I am. Resurrection only comes through me. The life, the real life, the eternal life only comes through me. So take your eyes off of the, the future. I'm standing right here with you. Put your eyes on me. Boy, I'm, I'm somewhat prophetic, and prophetic people, their eyes are on the future. There is so much of present-day life that I have missed through the years. Because instead of looking at Jesus, the Jesus of now, I'm looking down the road of the Jesus, who Jesus is going to be then. I don't want that to go away. But I want to live in the now. Jesus wants Martha 
have her faith in the now. He who believes in me will live, even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? That was his question to Martha. But it's always his question to us. Do you believe this? John, I've got you at this stage in life. This is what I'm speaking to you now. Do you believe this? This is what I want you to do, John. Do you believe this? You will be raised in the last day. Do you believe this? You will live forever. Do you believe this? I want you to go across town and I want you to speak to this person. Do you believe me enough to do it? He's always asking me that question. Or a similar question, do you trust me? Do you believe me? Do you trust me in the now? Well, he has this exchange. And, and, and Martha, bless her heart, you know, she does again show us where her faith is. She says, Lord, I have believed. That you're the Christ, the Son of God, the coming one, which was a, a title for the, for the Messiah. She said, I have believed it. And, and the, the way the Greek grammar is, it, it means I believed it in the past and I'm still believing it now. It's past action with present result. I have believed. But then she breaks off her conversation and she runs to get her sister. She goes, oh yeah, I've got a sister. You know, she's the one that loves to hang around Jesus. I better go tell her he's here. So Mary comes, right? Mary jumps up, she comes, but now she brings a crowd with her. The other mourners. She brings a crowd, she comes, says exactly the same thing that Martha does. If you'd have been here, she wouldn't have died. All right, we don't see Jesus' immediate response, but he says Jesus saw her weeping. He saw the people around her weeping. And he was deeply moved in spirit. That term out of the Greek text happens three times, right one right after the other. He said he was verse 33, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Verse 35, Jesus wept is the same word. And then verse 38, Jesus again was a deeply moved within now, it's an interesting Greek word. They translate it here, Jesus wept. Literally, what, how, the, how the word was being used in the culture at the time was of a horse snorting. <laughs> in anger. In anger. <laughs> Excuse me, you got to wipe that off. It does include a, a somewhat of, a, of a, 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 an anger because of a lack of compassion. So there is compassion in that, in, that, in that word. But why? Why did he have that response? Because he looked and saw 
what sin and sickness and death does to people. When it didn't have to. When it wasn't designed that way. Mankind wasn't designed to suffer through this. And Jesus was really upset about it. He was really upset. Hmm. Martha and Mary had faith. But what Jesus does, and Jesus does now, is he keeps moving them along. He keeps challenging their faith. He keeps cultivating their faith. He wants to strengthen their faith. And that's the Jesus that wants the same thing for you. He is committed to the progress of your faith. And he will always put you in circumstances and situations. Or he will say, do you believe this? One or the other in which you've got a step in faith. You have an opportunity. You have an opportunity. There's the dumbbell on the floor, John. Are you going to pick it up and work it out? <clears throat> Jesus is the one who loves us, even when he stays. Jesus is the one who is committed to growing and strengthening your faith. And finally, he gets to the tomb. He gets to the tomb. And he says, remove the stone. Well, now, here is Martha's lack of faith. Hey, look, he's stinking by now. It's the fourth day. Interestingly enough, there are writings by the Jewish rabbis in that day that, that the belief was is that the human spirit, when a person died, it stayed near the body for three days. It stayed near the body for three days. But at the end of the third day, as the body began to decompose, the spirit left. Now, whether Jesus had this in mind or not, I think he did. That's why he waited until the fourth day. And Martha, Martha, her eyes are on the present problem right here. And she said, he's going to stink. And look, look at Jesus' response. Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? There it is again. I'm doing this for the glory of God. I'm doing it for you and for your faith. And finally here, I'm doing it for Laz. Right? Okay. So he, he says, Father, I thank you. You've heard me. He prays the prayer. And then he calls forth Lazarus. With Jesus' voice, the dead is raised. Will you put John 5 up there? He, he talked about this earlier. This is back in John 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now, and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did good deeds to the resurrection of life. Those who committed evil deeds to the resurrection of judgment. He said, one day, 
He said, it will be and now is in the present. The dead will hear my voice and they will be raised. This is a foretaste of what we're going to see in the future. If you and I don't make it until Jesus comes, and, and you know, whether you're in a, an urn or in a, in a casket, you're going to hear the voice of Jesus. And he's going to say, John, come forth. Man, I am. I am. Jesus, in their day and time, did the impossible. In our day and time, he does the impossible. Three weeks ago, Suzanne and I were at uh, this church in San Marcos, Texas, where we've been attending regularly, and we're on the prayer team. So at the end of the service, we were up with a number of other people to pray for whoever they whoever came forward. And a lady in the church uh, and her husband own Hayes County Barbecue in San Marcos, which is good barbecue. They brought one of their employees up to us. This woman named Renee. And first time she'd ever been at the church and she was weeping. She had found out three days earlier that she had a brain tumor. And so she was brought forward so that we could pray for her for healing. With her were her three children. And the oldest of which was a daughter somewhere around 20 years of age. The daughter had just been diagnosed with an eye disease that the doctors told her, you're going to lose your eyesight. Mother, daughter, both with major issues. So Suzanne and I begin to pray for Renee, for the mother. And we're casting out cancer and calling down healing and laying hands on her and, and just going for it, you know. So we do that for a, a minute or two. And then we finish, we say, amen, she's crying, she thanks us. I turn to pray for the daughter, and Suzanne continues to converse with Renee, and Renee said something to the effect that Suzanne goes, oh, I'm sorry, did we make a wrong assumption? This is not a malignant tumor. And she said, no, it's a benign tumor. And uh, they're just concerned that it's going to grow and damage the brain. And, and Suzanne said, well, I'm sorry, we prayed the wrong prayer. So anyway, then Suzanne joins me, and we pray for the daughter. So I'm praying for the daughter. I have my hands on her eyes. And I stop, and I say, do you sense anything going on? She said, I am tingling from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. I'm tingling all over. I said, it's a good sign. So I pray again, second prayer. So we finish praying, and I turn back to the mother, and I said, when are you going to go back to the doctor for another follow-up visit? She said, either tomorrow or the next day. And I said, well, once you get the report, call somebody at the church and let us know. The following Thursday, I get a phone call from Joel, the pastor, my friend. And Joel said, you know that mother-daughter you prayed for? I said, yeah. I said, the mother went back <clears throat> the other day to the doctor, no tumor. It's gone. Completely gone. And the daughter reports that ever since you and Suzanne prayed for her, every single day her eyesight has improved. Okay, now... The daughter is in the process of being healed. But the mother got a miracle. The mother had a miracle. What was impossible, Jesus did for Renee. He's still doing the impossible. He's still doing the impossible. Three times in the book of Jeremiah, the Lord says to Jeremiah, Is anything too difficult for me? Look, I don't know where you are today, 
in that? Do you believe this is the question. Do you believe that nothing is too difficult for God? Nothing is impossible. He takes tumors in people's body and causes them to disappear. He can take a person who is anti-Christian and bring them to himself. Nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. He can break the power of addictions. Nothing is impossible. I don't care how far out somebody is. He can bring them near. He can bring them close. He can do the impossible. He can do the impossible. <laughs> I remember the story about Corey Tinboom. You may just know the story. Corey and her and her sister were thrown into a concentration camp and just, of course, treated horribly <coughs> during during and uh, the Holocaust and so forth because they harbored Jews in their house and were caught. And her uh, and Betsy, her sister, died there. And there was one particular guard that was extremely cruel to her. So after after the war, Corey is now, you know, she's traveling around the world speaking. And I don't remember where she was, but at, at the end of one of her speeches, a man walked up just sobbing. And he was that guard. And in that moment, God called upon Corey by his grace to do the impossible. To forgive him. And she did. Wasn't easy. But she did. I don't care what category you put it in. God's still doing the impossible. He's still doing the impossible. And when he did the impossible. There were still two responses. At the very end of this story. Some of them believed. Some. Can you imagine standing in that crowd and seeing a dead man come to life? And some, just some, believed. There's always going to be people in unbelief who will explain things away. Who will explain things away. I want you to think about your response this morning to the three things about Jesus that I mentioned. He loves you even when he stays. He is committed to the process of your faith. And he does the impossible. He works the impossible. Again, you may be in a different place and got something different from this story. That's wonderful if you did. But just right now, address those three things. And say, Lord, where am I? How do I need to respond to you this morning? Do I need to be reassured that you love me even though I'm waiting? And I'm waiting. And I'm waiting. And I'm waiting. Suzanne has had digestive issues for over three years. She had surgery that was unsuccessful. She's taken medication, both natural and prescriptive, and, and, and tons and tons and tons of prayers. We've been waiting for three years. She just got healed. She just got healed. 
by drinking calendula tea. <laughs> yeah. Friend of ours recommended it. She started drinking it. Eight weeks later, she's fine. But we waited. We waited. Maybe you've waited longer than three years. But do not fall into the temptation that Jesus doesn't love you because he's waiting. He's committed to your faith. He's committed to your faith. Remember the father of the epileptic boy and he said, you know, you know, if you're if you're willing, you can heal my son. And Jesus said, if I'm willing that anything's possible for him who believes and the father goes, I believe help my unbelief. Jesus did not respond to that father at that statement going, oh, you got some unbelief. See you. No, what he do? He healed his son. He honored the faith that he had. In spite of the faith that he still, the fact that he still had some unbelief. I've still got some unbelief. The Lord confronts me with it. <laughs> yeah, John, you've believed me here and here and here and here. But there's a problem over here. <laughs> Let's work on this one. Why? Because he's committed to my faith growing. He's committed to your faith growing. And then he, over and over again, as I was standing there with my hand on that woman's head, praying against that tumor, I had the opportunity to believe that Jesus does the impossible. If I was in the place where I didn't believe, you know, Jesus heals headaches, but he doesn't heal tumors. I couldn't have prayed. I've got to go into that prayer opportunity. I've got to go into that opportunity, believe that he can heal that, that he can do a miracle. That he can do whatever he wants to do. That he can do. That he will do. I've got to go into that. As I was told a long, long time ago. But, but one, of my, one of our major mentors, John Wimber. He said, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. <clears throat> How do you grow your faith? You risk it. You risk it. A friend of mine, Gary, was with his, uh, with his friend, and they were over you know, close to Fort Worth, close to Arlington in a Walmart, doing shopping. And he walks by, he was in a chair. The guy's sitting in a chair. And the guy was just kind of highlighted to Gary, so he stops in Walmart, and he turns around, and he goes, what's wrong with you? And the guy says, I can't walk. Apparently, he was there with some other people, and they'd left him. He said, I, I, can't, I can't walk. I don't have the use of my legs. So Gary said, hey, I love to pray for people. Can I pray for you? He said, well, yeah. He prayed for him. The guy got up and started walking. Now, Gary could have gone by and go, oh, there's something about that guy, but, you know, I really need to go get my orange juice. No. He risked it. He stepped out. He stepped out. There are all kinds of opportunities. God's always speaking to you. He always is. You don't, you don't have to be, quote, prophetic. We're all prophetic. We all are. Peter said at Pentecost, 
He said, when, when the Spirit is poured out, he said, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. What's the qualification for prophecy? To be a son or a daughter. Now, it may not look like what you are regularly thinking of when you're thinking about prophecy. It may be something across the... It may be to your waiter or to your waitress. May God may just give you a thought. Say, hey, I think, you know, I've got a relationship with God. I just got this thought. Does this mean anything to you? Risk it. Risk it. When I first started risking it, I missed a lot of the time. I missed. But I learned. You know, I would miss it. And I'd go back to the Lord and I'd go, why did I miss it, Lord? Help me. Train me. I'm on a learning curve here. And he was faithful to do that. I still miss sometimes, but it's less than I did 30 years ago. Nothing is impossible with him. So I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come right now. And I want you to interact with the Jesus that you saw in this passage. Interact with the Jesus. It might be through one of those things that I've highlighted. It might be something else that you saw in this passage. Holy Spirit, come. Jesus, we thank you for who you were. To Mary, Martha, and that crowd, and to Lazarus. And we thank you for who you are to us. We want to embrace you today. Embrace you today. Lord, just take what we're interacting with right now and we just receive it into our spirit, into our soul, and even into our body. We praise you in your name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode from Clear Path Church in Dallas, Texas. If you'd like more info to visit us on a Sunday morning or to subscribe to our newsletter, check us out at www.clearpathdallas.com. Follow us on Instagram at Clear Path Dallas. Thanks for listening.